you heard people's testimonies. It was cool. Uh, a lot of people aren't here today, but the, the question that sometimes people ask me after a baptism is like, what's next for people? These people that kind of got started, what's next for them? And unfortunately, the answer I've heard people actually verbalize after baptism is this. You try to be good, go to church once in a while, and start trying to believe the right things. And no, that's not a completely wrong answer, but that is like almost the barely the lowest common denominator <laughs> of what faith is about that you could ever verbalize. So because that's so widespread, that kind of thinking, I think in a sense that we need to begin to rebrand what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's, it's become so commonly believed that following Jesus is, again, just about believing certain things, going to a, a building once in a while, and trying not to get in too much trouble. That's, that's what it comes down to. Now, I'm a pastor. I hear people tell me this. I'm not making this up. Well, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. And if you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seats in front of you, there are paperback Bibles that look like this, and I, I use this now just so I can be like the common folk. And it's page 675. And in this passage, we're going to find out, in, in the introduction, just a, a primer for what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? What does it look like if someone wants to follow Jesus? So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, in this passage here where Jesus saw Matthew, he, he, he breaks down following Jesus to these two simple things. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. And to be with Jesus, you could look at two facets of that. In other words, that, that Jesus has your allegiance. He has your loyalty, your ultimate loyalty. And not just that, but that you are pursuing intimacy with him. That you want to know him. You want to connect with him. You want a relationship with him that goes beyond the superficial idea of just knowing some facts about him. Because there's any number of people that we see in the news and, and uh, in media that because they're constantly out there and we can see their house on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous and we can see you know, stories about them in bio channels, we don't really know them. We know things about them. 
to know them would require we get into their life and we really spend time with them where they live and work and play and learn. And so you see Matthew doing that. He went from a loyalty to Rome because he was a tax collector and all the other loyalties he had to being ultimately loyal to Jesus. And he also spent time with Jesus because, think about this, he invited Jesus into his house. You know what it's like when you invite people over? You guys, you do invite people over. Okay, I was just want to make sure we have like just a whole bunch of, uh, you know, really seriously introverted people in this church that I didn't know. When you invite someone over to your house, what do they learn about you? All kinds of things, right? Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to admit this, but when you've been over at someone's house, weren't you at least tempted to pull that mirror back, just to open it up and look and see what's inside? Because you start seeing, oh my gosh, look, they're taking this medication. Why are they taking that medication, right? People find out who you really are when they come in your house, when they hang around you. And if they followed you all over the place, they would learn all kinds of things about you. And if you started talking about everything that's going on inside your, your heart, it always puts, always helps to put the microphone on, doesn't it? <laughs> Rick's, Rick's just nodding at me. He's, he's, he's doing the knobs back there. What is wrong with this multi-thousand dollar instrument? We have a stupid speaker. That's what's wrong. So, yeah, isn't it? This is, it's like just public humiliation, week in, week out, you know. If my grandkids were here, they could have figured out what I was doing wrong right from the get-go. Uh, following Jesus means being with him and being like him. And being like him in two ways, character and your lifestyle. So if you hang around with Jesus, you start seeing what he's really like. And if you know that he's invited you to get to know him, but also in the context of getting to know him, to be able to be transformed to become more and more like him. That would be a great gift. And that's what Jesus had in mind when he invites us to do that. Now, here's the, here's the thing. This is a scary thing about this. <laughs> you are becoming every minute of every hour of every day. Everybody here is becoming. You're being formed day in and day out. I'll, I'll read you a couple of quotes. Everyone's, this is Robert Mulholland who wrote uh, Invitation to a Journey. He said, everyone's in a process of spiritual formation. Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we experience shapes our behavior. Every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, Every reaction we have towards the things that surround us and impinge on our lives, all of these things, little by little, are shaping us into some kind of being. And C.S. Lewis takes it a little further. Here's what he says. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. Every choice you make reinforces something inside you in some direction. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices 
All your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures or with itself. Or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, its joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage and impotence and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Now that's a, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a thought that when you, when you get your arms around that, it gives you a sense of urgency about, well, I have some influence over the kind of person I'm becoming. And, and imagine the gift that Jesus is giving us when he says, come, he, he pursued Matthew and he said, come follow me. And he was offering Matthew a whole new way of life by relationship with him and being able to be around him and the transformation that, that we see. Now, how can we follow Jesus in a way? Because this is a question people often ask me. If following Jesus means being with him and becoming like him, how can I live in a way that actually produces that result? How do I follow Jesus in a way that positions me to connect with him, to grow in intimacy with him, and to become more and more like him. What, what's within my power to do to make that happen? Because sometimes I get the sense that if you just get zapped in a certain way, and I don't know what that means, but I hear people use that language, if I just get zapped enough, will I become more like Jesus? And how do you get zapped? That's actually language that I've heard people use. And it's not bad language, it's just trying to say, how do we, how do we have experiences with God that, that make us more like Jesus, that help us to get to know Him? And the truth is, God does do those kinds of things, those lightning in a bottle moments. But what you see, and I'm going to show you in this little story, <laughs> is that this is the takeaway. Engaging in certain kinds of spiritual practices as a lifestyle will position you to grow in intimacy with Jesus and become more like him. That if you embrace certain spiritual practices as a lifestyle, you will enter into a process whereby each day you will become more intimate with Jesus and you will become more like him. It will happen. That that, that thing that you long to have will begin to happen. So what do we mean by spiritual practices? I want you to go back into this verse again and It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. It's what we were talking about this morning and looking at another passage that describes some fishermen who left Jesus. People wondered, how on earth did Matthew just get up and quit his job and start following Jesus just because Jesus walked by and said, hey, follow me? Well, that's, that's misreading the passage. Jesus, if you, if you read the story, Jesus has been spending time in Galilee where Matthew lived. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been doing miracles and signs and wonders. He's been teaching. He's been going into people's homes. And as it always happens, the word about him spreads. People who have experienced him and what he's all about 
begin to tell their friends, and their friends tell friends, and their friends tell friends. This is what people do, especially in small towns. Because when you go up into Galilee, there wasn't any big cities like down in the southern part of Israel, like Jerusalem. There was just hundreds of villages, and each village had a couple of thousand, thousand, two thousand people in it. And this is what happened in small towns. People talk about what was going on. So there was a pretty solid word of mouth message about Jesus that was going around. And so when Matthew's standing here at his tax collector's booth, and they would always be along busy roads because the tax collectors wanted to make sure they were getting exposed to as many people as possible, so they go on the busiest traffic routes. Jesus says to Matthew, hey, come follow me. Matthew goes, hey, you guys, you know, here, here's the keys. And he leaves and starts following him. Well, he did that because... He was convinced that the kingdom of God that all the Jewish people had been waiting for, where God promised that he was going to begin to make all things new, he was going to begin to right all the wrongs in the world, he was going to begin to change people's lives, was breaking into the world through Jesus. And Matthew was gripped by that, and he said, that's worth living for. And I think at that moment, he'd probably been thinking about that for a while. He'd probably been pondering Jesus' claims and all the things that were being said about him and the things he was doing. And at that moment, Jesus got him right in the middle of that and invited him, and Matthew said yes. And I think Mark calls Matthew Levi because that was probably another one of his names. Uh, Levi is a Jewish name. Matthew is more of a uh, Greek name. So as Matthew spent time with Jesus, he learned a lifestyle of spiritual practices that led him to experience personal transformation, and it transformed the world around him. Because not only do you change when you practice these spiritual practices, but the people around you will change too. Because transformed people transform places. If you change, if you really change, you will see that impact people all around you. Because we're wired, we're hardwired by God to be influenced by everything around us and everybody around us. And people who are following Jesus can have a profound impact without saying a word. Now, there's impacts you can't have unless you open your mouth and say words. But the spiritual transformation that... Jesus invited Matthew into, started changing things. I want you to see in this story here. Spiritual practices, uh, I'll give you a definition. Spiritual practices are personal, corporate practices modeled by Jesus, which when intentionally practiced as a lifestyle, deepen our intimacy with Jesus and transform us. And one of the, I'm just going to give you one today that you can see in this story. One spiritual discipline, this is going to probably surprise you. Because maybe you've heard of spiritual practices like prayer, Bible study, worship, service, things like that. Those are, those are spiritual practices that will change you and will deepen your intimacy with Christ. Jesus practiced a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline in this story that's really important. Anybody want to take a guess what it was? It's not obvious. But it's a super important spiritual practice. Dinner? 
You're close. That's close. RV, you got the notes. You can't say anything. <laughs> Sheila? Okay, that's true too. But look at what they were doing. What was going on there? That's close. That's close. Close. I'm not trying to show off. <laughs> but this is, I want you to see something. This is, this is how you can see. See, spiritual practices that really change us, they're really obvious. But we overlook them. Here it is. Celebration. Celebration is a profoundly impacting spiritual practice. Let's put it on, let's use another word. Having a party. That's what somebody said. I didn't hear you, Coin. I'm sorry. I, I, my, my senior hearing can't pick up those little whispers from the very back row. Celebration or having a party. Now, not just having any kind of party. But celebration is a spiritual practice that actually can shape us. I'm going to show you what it does. Here's what uh, Dallas Willard said. Celebration is where we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. We intentionally choose to enjoy God's good gifts, like events, milestones, and holidays, with the recognition of God's presence, work, and provision in the middle of them. So you can turn a birthday party into a celebration, a kingdom celebration that's a spiritual practice. You can turn a dinner party where you just want to have friends over. You're celebrating that you have friends and they mean something to you. But it starts in your heart first. See, a party can just be a party, or a party can be a spiritual practice that transforms your heart and connects you with God's goodness. Because what practicing spiritual practices do, spiritual disciplines, is it positions you to encounter God's presence. Jesus said he was at this party and he had a spiritual purpose. Did you see that? But he was also celebrating. And so what, did, what was the question that the religious people had for him? Well, you read it. Well, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked him, why do you eat with sinners? Now, they should have known because they knew the word the Jewish people were commanded over and over and over to celebrate God's goodness. In fact, three times a year, they had to take time off in the middle of their harvests and observe God's goodness to them. So right when they wanted to work hard and get in their harvest, God said, you need to take a break and you need to celebrate and you need to remember me and my goodness, even if you haven't gotten your harvest yet, and I'll take care of everything. So celebration is, is supposed to be a spiritual practice that we do. Having parties. Jesus 
went to parties. Let me, let me, now that I've kind of primed a pump here. Can anybody think of a party where God showed up? No, a party of a story in the Bible. Wedding of Cana in Galilee. There it is. Regular party becomes a celebration. And it got better. Now, this is, the, this is the idea. See, from that story, where because of Jesus, they recognize God is in this. This is a good thing that's going on. But because Jesus was there and people recognized, his mom recognized Jesus is here, and this party has kind of hit the wall. And she told people, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus, you know, did the miracle of changing water into the best wine, the very best wine. Not so people could get drunk, because wine was just meant to be something to help them enjoy and feast and celebrate. And if I don't, I don't drink alcohol, but if you drink wine, you know winemaking is an art. And good wine is a gift. Good wine is, is like and you can enjoy it like you can enjoy a good steak or a, a good quiche or, you know, uh, or anything. And it's a gift from God. And so God wants to take the whole world over and show that he's involved in all these places and situations and all these things that religious people can't see. That God wants to transform them in every circumstance. They just see the rules and the regulations and they get hung up on them. And they miss the opportunities. So, in a celebration as an intentional spiritual practice, it will produce, if you celebrate, if in your heart, when you have parties and you have um, events and dinners, and everything like that, if you do that with an, a grat, an attitude of gratitude towards God, of, of being willing to enjoy what he's made, the kingdom will break into that and it will become a spiritual discipline that begins to help you develop intimacy with Jesus and it starts changing you. And it will produce joy, gratitude, humility, perspective. When you party with gratitude to God for someone's anniversary, for someone's graduation, for a holiday, you know, something that our country celebrates, it could be an ethnic moment, you know, a family thing. All those things are gifts from God. And when we observe them with an attitude towards Him, God, thank you you're in all these things. I want to celebrate them and enjoy them. It changes you. And people like Dallas Wood and others who've written about this say, when you celebrate consistently over time, joy starts increasing in your life. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. Because your perspective on things starts changing and it stays changed. And you begin, the wildest thing is you begin to enjoy 
the gifts of God that are all around us more and more and more. And there's, a, there's an old saying that attention is the first step to devotion. When you become attentive, you begin to be able to enjoy. And when you begin to be able to enjoy, you begin to grow in affection and devotion. And so the whole idea of spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines means as a way of life, we begin to choose to build our lives around certain practices that Jesus did. Because all the spiritual disciplines that people practice today, you can see in the life of Jesus. I think every, almost every one of them. And there's, what, what some people have learned is there, there's new spiritual practices that you can start, you can discover. So over the next few weeks, each week, like this week we talked about celebration. I hope you walk away from what we talked about today and go, wow, I want to begin to celebrate. And it could be a, simply, a simple celebration is just having lunch with friends after church, having lunch with friends after work. It doesn't have to be a big official event. It can just be every day I'm going to learn to celebrate I'm just going to celebrate. I had another day at work. I did my job. I cared for people. I got paid. I care for my family. I'm going to celebrate that. Do you understand how you begin to leverage your life and look at it differently? So each week, we're going to, by the grace of God, uh, introduce for a few weeks new spiritual disciplines that you can do that will change your life. But they'll only change your life over time. So what we want to do right now is we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is another a spiritual practice. And Jesus says that, again, when we take bread and wine... And we realize that they could just be bread and wine, which people in his day ate at almost every meal, bread and wine. But Jesus says, if you take bread and wine in remembrance of me, my presence invades that moment and I show up. And things that were impossible begin to be possible and things begin to become new. They begin to change. People's hearts begin to change. I know people who've taken communion. They've come into a little moment like this, and they've taken communion. And during the confession, where, where, where we always have a moment where we confess our sins, because Jesus you know, taught the disciples to do that. That was part of, even though we don't tend to think that why do we confess our sins before we did this? The Jewish people, the Passover, part of the Jewish Passover was they went through their house and they cleaned out all the leaven in their house. It was like old food. It was a picture of repentance because leaven represented in that moment sin. And so Paul said, before you take the Lord's Supper, examine yourselves. 
And so the church has heard that and said, we need to confess our sins. And so I know people who have come to this moment and when we start confessing our sins, oh, I got the wrong one, sorry. When we start confessing our sins, they have suddenly been struck by the fact that they have, they're holding resentment towards someone and they've been alienated from someone and they repent right there and they let go of that and God heals their heart and begins to heal their relationship. But sometimes those people have been physically healed when they did that. That the Lord drew near to them, he's in this, and they recognized I behaved poorly, and they confessed that. And then in the moment of receiving the elements and receiving the forgiveness of sins, God touched them in, on, in different dimensions of their lives. So we're going to take this moment, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I, I want to just lead you through what we do, a prayer confession and prayer forgiveness, and then we're going to bless the elements, and, uh, and we're going to, enjoy communion together, and do a spiritual practice. And so hopefully it's not just wafers and wine, or I think it's orange juice today. Orange juice. Not orange juice, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's grape juice. <laughs> Somebody's going, orange juice. <laughs> That's the vineyard is always doing new things. Uh, we're not going that new. Uh, Although I've heard, I've had friends in churches who've used Pepsi. I know, seriously, because they didn't have any wine. And they had a bunch of alcoholics who said, please don't give us wine, and they couldn't get grape juice, so they used Pepsi. Anyway. Uh, so why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to pray this prayer confession. I'll pray a phrase at a time, and you pray with me. Our Father in heaven... We confess that we've sinned against you and against our neighbor in our thoughts and words and deeds by what we've done and what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we repent of all of our sins. Now just close your eyes for a minute and you just in your own heart ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything you want to bring to mind that I need to confess to you right now? And just confess it to him, whatever it is. Now repeat after me. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that's past, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Now I just want you to hold your hands out and close your eyes. I'm going to pronounce forgiveness over you. You don't have to repeat it. I'm saying it to you. May Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, have mercy on you. May He pardon and deliver you from all your sins. 
May He confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So in the, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it and He gave it to His disciples and He said, take and eat. This, my, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, He took the cup and we take the cup and we take our wafer and we dip it in the, the juice and, and try not to dip your fingers in. And when he given thanks, he gave it and he said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. So the folks who are going to give the elements out can just come up and just come down the side here. And after you take the elements, just take them and sit back down. And we're, we're going to close after that. So whoever gives those out, two people, we'll get two people coming up. Two people from over here who help. Sheila coming up, somebody else. You know the drill. They're going to offer the bread to you and say, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And they're going to offer the cup and say, this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. Sheila, yeah, come on up. Would you, would you pass them out? Thanks, Sheila. So go ahead. So, 
here's the here's the surprise is the Lord always shows up when when we gather and when we look to him. Remember last week we looked at the promise in Isaiah where it says for those who wait on or look to the Lord, they'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. weary. They'll walk and not faint. Remember we learned that, that the Hebrew word for wait means to, to braid something together. And so the idea is those who look to the Lord by braiding their life together around him begin to experience new creation. That n- things begin to become new. Things that we couldn't do on our own begin to happen. So everywhere Jesus went, and now because we, we're his people, he's present with us. And he said, as long as we do this, we, we do it in remembrance of him. And we proclaim that he died and rose again and he ascended to the Father. So I think there's needs here that we can pray for. You're coming with areas of your life that need to be made new, right? This is what Jesus did that caused Matthew to leave his career, probably his very successful and and, uh, rewarding career to become an itinerant preacher for Jesus and probably eventually to be killed because he saw in Jesus the fulfillment of all the prophets that said that God was going to make all things new through Jesus. And so he's still doing it. So I want you to just think for a second and, and don't let doubt, don't let awkwardness, don't let anything stop you from stepping into the possibility that God wants to make that part of your life new again right here, right now. And you don't have to feel anything for that to happen. You just have to be open to it. And it says those who braid their life, those who look to the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. They'll be renewed. Where do you need renewal in your life right now? It could just be in a relationship that you have. You just feel like, man, this relationship's just worn out. My job, my health, my finances. What is it? Don't let pride or anything keep you from just saying, I want the kingdom to break into that part of my life today. Before we leave, we want to just pray for a moment, and uh, I'll dismiss everybody once we get going praying. So who is it that needs something in your life like that? Touch, just stand up. No shame in it, just we all come with stuff, right? And I, I think in particular, there's a, uh, these are a couple of words that came to me. If, if anybody had any wor- other words that are more specific, I think somebody's been having really severe heartburn, like bad heartburn. And somebody has uh, really inflamed a tendonitis in, uh, uh, in your Achilles tendon. Yep, you've had problems with it. Maybe even had, you know, a minor tear or something. Okay, so... 
in the vineyard, everybody gets to play. All right? There's, there's positives and negatives to that. <laughs> but everybody gets to pray. Everybody gets to believe for God to, to bless their neighbor. So those of you who are standing around the folks that are standing, I, I need at least two people by everybody that's standing. And if you guys are standing together, Kambiskis, if you guys can just spread out just a little bit to leave some space. There you go. Uh, so by twos, just, just go and start praying for them. And everybody else, you're welcome to hang around or be dismissed, but interview them. Say, what, what can I pray for? What do you need? And then ask God to show you how to pray. Then ask if you can lay hands on them. Lay hands on them and pray for them. Somebody else, Dick? I need a couple more people praying. Come on, you vineyard prayer people. <laughs>